Hey there, welcome to the Seinfeld Podcast. Man, I'm here with Laura and Craig. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing well, how are you guys? Good. Fantastic. Um, yeah, we're season two, episode two. We're rolling right along the pony remark. And my overview, and we'll get right into the episode, is it's getting dark, which is good. <laughs> I mean, Seinfeld is a dark show. I thought we were very scratching the surface, but I thought we had a little bit of a dark plot, which, hey, you got you to love if you like Seinfeld, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of dark for Seinfeld, maybe. I mean, they always – it's funny because the more I watch these earlier episodes that maybe I haven't watched in a long time or just wasn't, you know, wasn't as familiar with, I, I feel like I, I really – start to see some of the similarities that we see in, in future episodes, you know, like in this case, yeah. um, you know, they're at the funeral and I know we'll get into some of that later, but they're at the funeral and, you know, and Jerry's dad's trying to get, you know, a, sort of an excuse to, to get a, you know, half off his fare essentially. And of course we all know the George Costanza, you know, death certificate episode as well. So, you know, it's kind of fun to watch some of these episodes and you're starting to see some better elements to the episodes and, making it a better show overall. Yes. Well, it, well I will say it, it's I, not crazy dark. I'm just saying, again, if we were watching this live, if we were experiencing it for the first time, it was a lot darker than maybe the first couple episodes. Now, yeah. it, it, so it, it, I, I mean, I'm watching, we're watching this, the first what, seven episodes we watch for. This is kind of dry at times. But no, I mean, I, I thought we're going in the right direction. Uh, Warren, what do you want to talk about first on this? What what stuck out to you? Well, the you know the first thing that I well the big thing, Craig is um, Elaine yeah. is huge. Finally, we yeah. finally have Elaine. Um, you know, it's for her first real like maybe power episode. You might you might yeah. say, um, but you know, there's like you said, there's so much here that continues on through the series. You know, I wrote down yeah. all this stuff, you know, like George and his, you know, lack of care for anyone around him, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, him talking about the fact that he'll never have sex again. <laughs> um, yes. The, um, and, you know, the, the thing that just cracked me up was, um, I, I really like this episode. So just to tell you that up front, mm -hmm. but, um, the the Kramer apartment thing, you know, <laughs> it comes into play like so many times with so many his his apartment is so mysterious, you know. He's gonna make these levels, you know. Um, and then my my real favorite of his though is when he does the wood, wood Jerry, wood. Um, <laughs> you know, and then you know, there's times where he has no fridge and you know, the, um, the Merv Griffin set and all that stuff. And, you know, this yeah. is, this is a good, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like, I think George basically is the only one that isn't really heavy in this episode. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, average. He's there a little bit, you know, applying the guilt about whether he should play base uh, softball or not. Um, yeah. But um, let's talk about the fact that Elaine was the real troublemaker here. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Jerry might have killed her, but <laughs> Elaine brought up the topic. <laughs> I mean, Jelaine started the whole thing by with the comment about the peas. Did you taste these peas? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like out of the blue. And then it just jumps, you know, and just goes. Yeah. So. This kind of reminded me of like this. This is, and I, 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 I agree with you on that, Laura, that this is probably the best episode we've seen up until this point. And it's probably the closest episode that we could transplant this into season four, five, six, mm -hmm. seven, and, and so on. And yeah. it would probably seem like it makes sense. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Uncle Leo is a little bit more demonstrative <laughs> in future seasons and, and maybe so is Morty to some degree. Um, but yeah, this is, this kind of has the elements of what we come to know and love about Seinfeld and, and they finally give Elaine something to do other than just being like, Hey, there's a female character in this scene, yeah. you know, don't, don't, you know, vilify us. So yeah, it, it definitely kind of felt like a normal, maybe they've hit their mark. I mean, I, I you know, I know we're, we're going to be continuing on here, but, um, it just kind of seemed like they, they finally hit some stride here a little bit. Yeah with what they were going for with this show. And, you know, again, Chris and I talk about this all the time because we watch, we watch these shows in places that don't stop at the end of the episode, <laughs> you know, so you keep going into the next one and this like, um, just like this, the next episode is also one of my all time favorites of this series, you know? So it's, you know, they are sort of, you know, getting some real momentum, you know, and silliness and stuff. So um, the other thing I forgot to mention is, you know, another thing that repetitively comes up is Elaine trying to get an ap another apartment, yes. <laughs> you know, and her, you know, she has no shame about going right up to the widow and saying, you know, hey, what's happening with your apartment? And screaming <laughs> it at the funeral, <laughs> you know, that's the best. I'll take care of your clothes, you know. She is um, never satisfied with her apartment ever. No, no. Yeah. No. And, and, that, and I guess that's why I wanted to say dark, because not dark in a bad way, but dark where it just gets crazy. And, I mean, I haven't yeah. seen that so far in Seinfeld, you know, in this rewatch. So, no, this is good. This is good. What, what are your thoughts on Elaine, Craig? Well, she finally has something to do to, to some degree. I mean, obviously, in the future episodes, she will have more to do in a lot of uh, different episodes where she's highlighted even more. But, you know, bringing up the peas and just kind of being there with more than just a really afterthought of a, of a side plot or afterthought of a conversation where she actually is involved in the main plot here, which, you know, they're at the diner, she's there, and then they go to the, the party and she's there. So she's actually, you know, and of course the funeral where she gets to ask about the apartment. So I, I think she actually gets a little bit more, you know, sort of scenery to chew on here than ever before, where you might see her in one block of, you know, one segment of this show. If you divide it into three blocks of segments, usually she might be in one or two. And here she seems like she's in all of the main things that are going on, which makes it even better. You know, she makes fun of Jerry who has the terrible softball game at the end of the episode. Um, so she's she's really inserted into key elements in this and doesn't just come across as being extra scenery like she maybe has, unfortunately, in the previous six episodes or whatever it was. Yeah. 
Okay. Very good. What else did you see about the episode, Lauren? Um, the you know the dinner, um, you know is <laughs> is endlessly fascinating. You know, um, yeah. Just you know, it just spirals completely out of control. Out of control, and you know the wacky thing about the the explanation of why she was upset. The, uh, what was her name? Manny or Manya, Manny. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. Um, I didn't write it down, darn it. Um, about why she was upset. She was upset about the potato salad, which never gets discussed, you know, never is <laughs> seen, you know, what could be wrong with potato salad? Um, and, you know, it, I mean, he's obviously lying, you know, <laughs> he had to be, you know, because she did leave the room after that, you know, after she, basically lambasted Jerry, you know, you know, it's like, you know, when you look at it, you know, she's really one of the only people in the series that really just goes after Jerry yeah. and puts him in his place. You know, um, I, I was, um, I, I thought the, the funniest thing was the guy, the doctor student, the, the medical student who wouldn't give the note yeah. and the way he was looking at Jerry after the, after he said the, the remark. I mean, he just, I mean, it was such disdain, you know, and, uh, um, you know, it, there's just, there's a lot of meat here, you know, in this episode, you know, cause there's a lot of little lines that sort of get lost, you know, um, you know, with, uh, uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry's dad, you know, and the thing about the, the thing about the jacket, you know, and, the fact that his he has to then go get another jacket. She tells him to get another jacket, and he's like, "This funeral is going to cost me a fortune." You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just it's just so much. There's like so much little stuff that you know is so funny and so so interesting. So, yeah, I like the um, you know this is Barney Martin's first uh, trip through mm-hmm. uh, you know as Morty Seinfeld and. Yeah. You know, it's it's a clear upgrade from the the previous actor uh, that played Jerry's father, and I think maybe a better character they gave him to play too. But um, here we get to know his frugal side, and and that's fun. Um, and it also sets the stage for his uh, beltless trench coat idea, um, which is another episode that you know I yeah. can't even tell you how many years later that episode comes out. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just, yeah, it's it's just kind of uh, you know. You don't really, I don't know, maybe especially with sitcoms, especially where sometimes continuity is never at the forefront. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a lot of times where my wife will be watching something and she'll say, you know, I thought they met at this point in life instead of at that point in life because the continuity of the writing is just not there. And, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not really something you need to worry about with sitcoms. But Seinfeld sort of plants those seeds along the way and, and you never really know, you know, you don't really realize that Art Vandelay is going to be something or, you know, at that time you probably don't. But then when you hear about it three, four, five, six years later, you're like, oh, hey, yeah, that's a callback yeah. to the, the, the episodes we try to forget. So yeah, it was a nice, this, this felt like a Seinfeld episode. Like this mm-hmm. could have been in any season and I would have said, yep, it, you know, whether you love it or hate it or whatever in between, it kind of felt like a traditional Seinfeld episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, especially like I said, when you're looking back at it, 
you know, it's frustrating when you go back to season one, episode one. But man, this is where you get the awkwardness, the weirdness. Yeah, I'm all in. This is good stuff. So, and who hey, leaves a pony country to come to a non pony? Oh, country? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the pony thing was fun because, like, and also it kind of goes in with the darkness of the episode because you know, during Jerry's like intermediate stand up routines, he's talking about you know, who has a pony and like you know, or, you know, who you know, who has a pony that's an immigrant kind of thing, like, yeah. you know, they're 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 yeah. leaving essentially what it, it, it appears that they're, you know, leaving, you know, the future Nazi occupied Poland to get into freedom. And then they're, you know, then they're talking about ponies out of all of this tragedy. And then they talk about ponies as sort of the, uh, the hook to it, which, you know, it's just kind of fun. And then I think we all kind of have been at those dinner conversations where you've been at a dinner where maybe you didn't really belong or want to go. And then all of a sudden you put your foot in your mouth or because of how many people are there, you eventually say something that yeah. sort of offends someone or like, oh, well, I actually love, you know, <laughs> this or that. And, and then all of a sudden you've put your foot in your mouth and you feel terrible about it. And especially even more so because you didn't even want to be there to begin with. So it, it, it kind of makes me feel like that's the traditional Seinfeld episode where it's very relatable. I, you know, we've all experienced those things in the past or whatever, you know, or, you know, you said something that you thought was harmless and then all of a sudden everybody takes offense to it. So yeah. very, very fun episode. I thought actually a, a pretty good episode for Seinfeld. Well, and you were saying this, it really hits into the whole idea of the awkwardness. I mean, you know, we've all talked to people, you know, a day or two before they died and you're, like you said, you're kicking yourself if you said something silly or anything else like that. And, you know, they take that, that awkwardness to the nth degree by saying, well, maybe your remark itself caused the death, which, yeah, <laughs> very awkward. But, hey, that's what I'm in for. Man, if you like Seinfeld, you're into that stuff. And that's great. And then the, the fun thing, I think, you know, with that is I think we can all kind of agree with when, you know, when. Jerry's dad's like, yeah, everybody, you know, I don't like anybody with a pony either. So like, I think we can kind of relate to like, okay, you know, most, most times it's like a stereotype probably, but you think of people that have ponies, they have money and they're spoiled and things like that. And it's, it's kind of a, a funny, like, it wasn't just Jerry and Elaine because if it was just Jerry and Elaine, okay, maybe they're just off base with what they, they thought, but they weren't the only person that shared the sentiment that, you know, pony, anybody that has a pony is probably not someone you're going to like. Um, Definitely. The, uh, the, the other, there's two other things that cracked me up about this. Um, Elaine goes as an extra to the dinner and she gets the chair that's like, I don't even know what kind of chair that was. It must have been a stool or something. Yeah. And he's like, do you want to switch? And she just gives him the daggers, you know? And the other one was um, when they're in the restaurant um, with George and um, they're like trying to decide whether you should play or not play, go or not go. And she looks at George and says, he has to go. He may have killed her. <laughs> and, and, and Jerry's like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's just, 
It's, she said what everybody else probably wanted to say. <laughs> Even though she was kind of responsible for it, too, in some way. Yeah, she's like the instigator. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and that's great, too, because I think uh, Elaine wasn't my favorite character, but I think the emergence of Elaine really adds to the show. Because remember, only a couple short episodes ago, this is like, you know, pretty much Jerry and George and with a little bit from Kramer. So now we've got more of a, a fully developed cast than we had even a couple episodes ago. Yeah. So very good. And you'll see it, it is in the next episode where they meet with Elaine's father. Yeah. And I, they could not have come up with a better father, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Elaine got the, the big push, and that you know that was key to making the show great. So, I mean, yeah. this is where Seinfeld turns around. This is this is the exciting time yeah. of you know we're watching Seinfeld. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, any other thoughts on this episode before we start to wrap up shop? No, yeah, a good turning so. point for the series here. I think it's and uh, a. a, a a rare gem here in the first uh, handful of episodes. Mm-hmm. A couple news notes. It was interesting. Um, they're starting to release Netflix analytics. I'm not sure what the website is, but they're uh, giving a weekly look at, you know, what's the most popular movies in each country. And you guys are right. I'm not seeing Seinfeld on that list. So maybe it's not <laughs> quite as well as we originally thought might have happened. Well, it's not going to do well now because everybody's watching uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. so much. There's so much competition, and I don't think Netflix, even though they paid like five hundred million dollars for the rights for whatever how many years, I don't think they even care if anybody watches it. They just want to have additional content. So if people yeah. that are on the fringe of Netflix, you know, purchases, maybe say, oh, well, you know, I do love Seinfeld, so I'll I'll get Netflix because that's where to watch, you know, you got to watch it. Probably like how people maybe gravitated towards Peacock once Peacock took back the office. So, you know, I think um, it's probably not going to make their money back, but, you know, it might entice a few new subscribers that are non-millennial, non-Gen Z that want to get, you know, their Seinfeld fix. Did you see this? I am not a um, wrestling fan. Craig's a little bit of a wrestling fan. Um, I guess Survivor Series was last night, and there's a wrestler that came out in a tie inspired by Seinfeld. You see this? Big E is apparently a Seinfeld fan. Yeah, I saw the story on comicbook.com. Very interesting, so I don't know. Laura, that's not going to get me into wrestling, but I thought that was kind of a, a wild one. Now I have to look it up. So, yeah, I'll, I'll drop the link in so you guys can see. I'm just doing a Google search of Seinfeld to make sure we didn't miss anything. But, yeah, very strange. So right, let me drop this in before I forget. All right. Um, hey, um, whoa. I don't know how to copy a link properly. That's not good. Um, hey, any big plans? Thanksgiving plans, Craig. We're taping this on Thanksgiving week. No, just uh, plugging away at the uh, finding a place to live in Tennessee. And we'll be still here in Ohio for Thanksgiving week, but have a lot of podcasts coming up uh, before the holiday, though. Have a 
couple of interesting ones uh, coming up tomorrow. I'll have George Thomas as well tomorrow night talking uh, House of Gucci and Encanto. A couple of new movies coming out for the holiday week. Uh, Bob Garver, our favorite uh, New York City film critic, will be with me tomorrow morning. He'll be uh, looking at King, Ri King Richard and uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. And then he and I are going to be giving our top five sports movies in honor of King Richard. So very exciting to to have Bob as always, and also to talk to George about movies as well. Nice. Laura, I'm proud to be an employee of Gannett, and I, I like USA Today Network, but I, I was talking to somebody earlier this week. Worst article ever. Uh, this gushy, flowing article about Paul Rudd and how wonderful he is and how sexy he is. <laughs> Here we go again. I'm like, USA Today, come on. Calm, <laughs> calm down, he USA Today. Today. He doesn't like Paul Rudd. Right? He's got a crush on Paul Rudd. Yeah, I mean, wh where's the journalism? I remember one night, and this is how, this is how much Laura means. There's one night where I was at a, um, yeah, I like the Penguins hockey team, and they were covering, they were playing the Blue Jackets. And I was covering the Blue Jackets. I made a joke on Facebook, just talking about, hey, maybe I'll see Mario Lemieux or somebody, and you know, Laura's. <laughs> It's like, hey, no cheering in the press box. And I was, I'm sure she was kidding. But that <laughs> remark stuck with me. I appreciate it. And I actually got to interview Sid Crosby after the game. I remember that. when I, I had a little bit of the nerves going when I walked up to him. But I'm like, you know, hey, no cheering in the press box. We'll make it. So it's good. But Laura's, Laura's seen some family up in Cleveland, right? Is that where you're yeah. headed? Yeah. Fantastic. And. I'm headed to the great city of Louisville, Ohio, not Kentucky, Louisville, Ohio, to see family. And I don't know where there's masks. It should be good. So I don't know. All right. Well, hey, we'll let you go. Oh, I got to tell Laura a story after we log off, but uh, I'll tell it real quick. But hey, for Laura and Craig, this is Chris. Thanks for checking out Seinfeld uh, next week. Yeah, we're, we're going to meet um, Elaine's dad. So it should be fun. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great day. Hey there. Welcome to the We Miss Marty podcast. I'm Chris Pugh. I'm with Laura Kessel. Laura, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Are, are you ready for Thanksgiving? We're recording this on Thanksgiving week. Uh, are you ready? Well, I mean, it depends if you're talking my work life or my personal <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, personal um, life, I guess. Any big yeah, plans? I guess. Um, well, I'm going over uh, family for. Mm -hmm. I'm taking a salad. Kind of exciting. <laughs> we are. We've got, and it's in your coverage area, Morrison. Send your reporters. This is going to be huge. Oh, big to your party in Louisville. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, big family reunion. Thirty people. I mean, that could be the biggest in Louisville. Oh, wow. the. Yeah, we want full coverage. It'll be good. But no, um, we meet at this church in Louisville, and it's got a big gym. So there's a big place to eat, and there's a big place to gym. And there's a little TV room if you want to watch football. So oh, hopefully cool. I get to do a little bit of each. Should be fun going for the day, then head back to Columbus. So it should be a wild day. Hopefully there's no bad weather. I even looked at the weather. Hopefully the weather's yeah. good. So we'll see. It's, the but, one I hey, saw was it might rain. Okay. Which isn't bad. That's okay. Yeah, I, I was up in Worcester last weekend. And it was snowing on the way back. I'm like, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Driving 71 yeah. in the winter weather. wasn't That wasn't too much fun. So, 
Oh, well. Well, hey, let's talk a little bit about uh, Frazier. Uh, we're getting near the end of the first season, and this week we are talking about Author Author, where um, kind of Frazier got a little bit roped into a writing project from Niles and had a eventful Naya hotel. And <laughs> I have so many thoughts about this because, uh, you know, it brings back my brother, and, yeah, there's a lot we can say about this. So uh, where do we start? Where, where do you want to start with this thing? Um, probably one of the things, the underlying theme of this, the whole, the whole way through is, um, Niles feeling like a, you know, like a second and, you know, not getting any attention, getting any respect and that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but you know, the start of the episode is, this is the coffee one, right? Where he, you know, Frazier keeps getting the wrong coffee, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's kind of funny that, you know, the episode goes to that place where um, Niles feels like, you know, unimportant and forgotten and everything. And then at the beginning, Frazier is the one who's <laughs> ignored and forgotten. And, you know, she just keeps getting everything wrong. So. It's one of those things like we're journalists and we've got this eh, middle class job, but I'm sure some people are like, man, they get so much more attention because, you know, we're out there, you know, in the web and print and everything where it's really not that much high profile than other people. It's just, you know, you see our name a little bit more, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Right. I, I wonder, this is a great thinking question. I guess no one would care about unless they're a huge fan of Frazier. Who's the better psychiatrist? I mean, now you hear Frazier's name before. I wonder if Niles actually was a better psychiatrist. I sort of had that feeling through the whole, through the whole season, the whole series that Niles might be a little better, just because yeah. I think he's more focused in that area. Mm -hmm. I mean, the times when you actually see Frazier using his psychiatry training, you know, it sort of is a disaster, you know, right. um, like, you know, for, you know, way down the line where the two of them are competing with each other in a courtroom setting. Um, I mean, that's just, it's awful, you know, how bad Frazier is in that scene. So. Well, it's gotta be humbling for Niles because who knows what the, the pay is for radio people over there, but the assumption was, Hey, Frazier, you're on the air. You're a, noted radio psych psychologist or psychiatrist and you're making more than Niles does. So, you know, if Niles feels he's a better psychiatrist, not making as much, it's always awkward, you know? Yeah. Well, Niles was so. always in a hole because he was trying to live a life that was not his, you know, with Maris and her having all the money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I, I just, it, it's it, the things that really got me about this episode were that, you know, again, you know, we, we analyze everything like we're doing a dissertation or something, but right. you know, the thing what's, what struck me is they, they kept stumbling upon these things that were great topics for their book that they were writing, but they just were too, oblivious maybe to see yeah. them in front of them, you know? Um, 
you know, the Niles is being, you know, fed up with being second, you know. And yeah. the other thing is, like, the way that they turn on each other in the hotel room. You know, they they can't write in the house because it's not comfortable for them because of uh, the dog and, Mar and Marty watching TV and, um, you know, there's too many distractions. So they decide to go to the hotel room and, and, you know, they just, they get to the point where they turn on each other and start screaming at each other and fighting and sniping. And, you know, it, it's a, you know, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good topic for, you know, a book about siblings as well, you know, and. Well, and that's going to be so tough. I mean, you know, we write stuff. I, I don't know about you, Laura. I have a hard time writing anything longer. And I'm talking about longer mm -hmm. story, let alone a book. I mean, yeah. have you ever tried to write something long like that, a book or something like Not a book. I'd like to sometimes. Yeah. I, I will tell you that I have a bad reputation for when I write stories for the paper that I write long. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, it's, I, I mean, you do. I did a story. Yeah. You often, you often get into areas when you're writing, at least I do. Um, you know, where you get stuck and you don't know how to start and, you know, all that. But, um, you know, the big, you know, the first moments when they are actually trying to write, you know, Niles is, you know, paragraph, I'm indenting, you know, and he's yeah. like getting ready to write, but he has no idea what, they have no idea what they're writing, you know, and that's basically right. when everything falls apart, you know, they just don't know what they're going to write. They can't make a decision. Well, I think they're treating it, and you know, a book is a lot different than writing a news story. I think they're treating it like, okay, this is going to be the final proofed copy. We're indenting. Make sure you indent properly. Yeah. Sometimes, if you're not writing something right away, you know, if it's not due in the next hour or so, like we do in the news business, just free writing, mm -hmm. you know? Write a bunch of stuff yeah. down and then go back over and edit it and say, hey, this is good, or I want to take this yeah. out. And it, it yeah. was almost like they were writing a final copy Oh, for a draft, and that's you know that's what kind of screwed them up. I think, but no, I, mean, I agree. I, I don't even think they were at that point where they could do that because they didn't yeah. have an idea. You know, they just were they were basically just oblivious to the right. ideas that were sitting right in front of them. You know, Laura, I'm blanking. I should know. Remind me, what brothers and sisters did you have? I, I can't remember how many I, brothers or sisters did you have. I have one older brother. He's 11 months older than me. Okay. Yeah, I've got, I'm the oldest. I got a, a younger sister a couple years younger than me and a brother that's about six years younger. I get along with my brother. Don't have any issues with him or anything. I could never work with him, like on anything, from a book to... Yeah. I, I mean, we're trying to figure out a way of playing video games over the internet just to talk, you know, just something goofy to do. And we're having a hard time doing that. And if we can't do that, that we can't write a book or collaborate or even work at the same company. I always joked with him that I need to work at this company. He's like, yep, it's not going to work. I'm like, yep, it won't. <laughs> I can tell you that. But I mean, how hard is it to work with your brother on whatever? Well, I mean, when I was a kid, when we were kids, I was the problem. I was the Niles. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, part of it was that we were so close in age, you know, 
um, right. less than we were less than a year apart, you know, and um, so like when we were little kids, we were always together, you know, at home. And then when he went to school, my brother's my brother was um, and still is very very smart, you know. He he and I are like, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't want to, I don't want this to sound like I'm gonna say that I'm an idiot or something, but. My brother was very smart. He was very good in school. I was not. I was very lazy, you know. I I just I didn't really get into school and get into you know the whole I I wouldn't say like the learning thing, but I I didn't really get into education until I got into my major in college, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, but my brother was, you know, he was, he was applying to, um, Ivy league schools, you know, and I'm like barely able to, <laughs> you know, barely, not yeah. barely able to get out of high school, but barely my parents were like, I don't know if we want to waste money to send you to college, you know? And, and so it was like a, it was a thing, you know, my brother, my brother and I are like very much, um, opposites, you know? I'm like five, four on a tall day. <laughs> mm. And, I've, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if people see us or not, but, you know, I'm very heavy, you know, physically. And my brother is six foot five <laughs> and about like, I think probably like 190, you know, maybe 200, you know, he's in, he's a runner. So, I mean, the two of us standing next to each other, I always joke around that we look like the number 10. Yes. You know, stick straight number one, and you know, there's me. <laughs> so, Worst I mean, thing my brother ever told me was, and it, it, it's kind of true. I mean, uh, people in college said we looked like, like he would come visit me in college and everything. And uh, it got to the point where he would joke and call me Fat Caleb because he said, Well, you look like but you're a fatter version of Caleb. I'm like, all right, thanks. His name is Caleb, yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. All right. Um, um, yeah, I, understand, I understand Niles' thing. You know, yeah. um, you know it. It's a, you know, being the second child is. I mean, you you have never had this happen to you, but you know, being the second child is is a little more difficult for you know for us. I mean, depending on what the situation yeah. is. You know, um, it wasn't really until I got out into my working world that, you know, I've sort of felt, okay, you know, I'm okay. You know, I'm, <laughs> I can do this, you know? So it's a, well, it's it, a strange thing. You know, it's, it's easy to understand how well, he even, felt. So, you know? I'm even slowly things we shouldn't compete on. Like, you know, my right. brother and sister are kind of managing some of my mom's responsibilities and they're younger. Mm -hmm. And at first of all, it's kind of put yeah. off a little bit, but then I'm like, you know, they're closer. I, I live a couple hours away. They live, Within a half hour, but yeah. I don't know. My brother get along well. I don't think he quite understands what I do. Um, he's actually he lives in one of our smaller markets that you know we all work for, and he's not anti journalism. I think he just kind of says, "Wow, why are you guys still doing that here?" Um, yeah. He's in the Worcester area, um, and yeah. it's interesting. Um, but you know, I don't quite understand what he does, but it's fine. I mean, hey. We yeah. get along. I mean, that's important. Too, so, yeah. very good. Um, yeah, this is a big part of the episode. They're trying to write the book, like you said, to go check in the hotel, and mm -hmm. it's just, 
you know, they're like you said, they're very um, get caught in the little things. Like, you know, man, we got this first sentence done. Yay. And before they knew it, they yeah. had, you know, it's morning. Oh, we all have the book hardly started. And I, I think pretty much you capitalized it or capitalized it really well. We said, look, they're just, they're not going to write a book overnight. And, you know, I think they got right. excited. I think, um, you know, Niles was kind of felt a little pressured uh, that he was missing a deadline. He got excited when, Fra- you know, he said, hey, this could be my chance. Fraser, let's work together. And they're just, it, expectations were so un- unrealistic. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I came down to. Yeah. I mean, Niles didn't want to disappoint his book, his book publisher. Mm-hmm. You know, so he kept saying, we're farther along than we really are, you know. And, you know, again, if he would have just been honest about, you know, <laughs> about what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been fine. But I mean, yeah. it was uh what'd you think of their physical fight? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um I I once fought like that with my brother. It was over a dumb basketball video game. It was dumb. And my dad came in, he got mad. It was just kind of a more of a bewildered, like, what are you doing? And <laughs> we haven't fought since then. We've yelled at each other, but we haven't fought since then. Yeah. I don't know. I would like, I would always throw things, you know, you know, the worst, the worst things, you know, you, <laughs> the worst things you could ever do, you know, are, you know, you know, that you, when you look back at them, you're just like, why would I act that way about something so yeah. stupid? You know, um, like I remember one time my brother drove us to, <laughs> to Taco Bell. Yeah. When we were, I think, I think probably in high school, maybe. Um, I it must have been high school. If it was, if he, if he was in college, he was in his first year, you know, because um, we were. I mean, it was we were young, and so he drove and I didn't because I was in the car, and we got our food and he did something on the way home that made me very angry. No idea what it was. No idea why I was so angry. And I remember he ordered a tostada, you know, mm. which is like a like a flat, like a tortilla, like a fried up tortilla, you know, with the crap on mm-hmm. top of it. And I remember yeah. like being so angry at my brother that I was holding it in my hand. So, you know, the rest of the stuff was in the bag. And I remember shaking it like this, you know, just oh, wow. shaking. It. And like it went all over the car, you know. And I mean, it was a complete disaster. And then my brother cleaned it up, you know, and, you know, looking back and it's just like, why, you know, why did I do that? You know, what was my problem? What was so bad about whatever it was? I mean, my guess is he was going to take the car, you know, or something like that. Just stupid stuff, you know, and, you know, it's kind of like them, you know. You just don't know, you know, you don't know how to handle. I mean, but, you know, these guys are almost 40 or are 40 years old and they should know how to handle it, especially because they're psychiatrists. (laughs) But um, even if you have a wonderful relationship with your family, you know, there comes a time and we're humans. We all get our buttons pushed the wrong way. I know, uh, I I think I can say this, my mom was having a hard time with moving and 
my brother and sister would go there every day. I'm like, don't. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, yeah. live your life. You know, mom's important, but you got families and everything. And he got tired of it and said, he's like, well, you don't come up. I'm like, I'm in Columbus. I can't drive up every day. And, it, you know, it, and thankfully we didn't fight. That was awkward. But it just, I felt bad. And I think you felt bad after that. You just, I don't yeah. know. I mean, we don't see eye to eye on things. I'll have to tell you after. <laughs> There's something I shouldn't say online. Uh, but, you know, we have one of those moments about a week ago. But, no, but but it's good. So, I mean, yeah, we learned a lot from Fraser and his brother. Any other thoughts on the episode? Um, um, the uh, the other thing that I noticed was, um, you know, it, it struck one thing. It was like the first thing that struck me. And then a couple of times I went, I viewed it a couple more times and found the, the you know, not figuring right. out what they should write about. But the Marty yeah. um, basically lie to them about his life and his, you know, regret, you know, not making up with someone, you know, to try to force them into, yeah. <laughs> into making up. I, um, I, you know, it was, it begs, like I, I wrote... Um, you know, that Marty lies, then he bragged to um, Daphne about it, <laughs> even though she fell for it, you know, and, you know, it's, you know, you go to that, that question of, you know, how is it okay to tell the little white lie, you know, and, you well, know, it's I'll sort of this. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not pro lying or anything, but my dad was a pastor, and we'd sit there in church, and you know, I mean, really being a pastor, you you're just sharing stories about your week. It's almost like a talk show host where you're, you know, you're saying, "Hey, let's search this what I did this week." My yeah. family is looking at each other half the time, going, "No, it didn't happen like that." And how much <laughs> of my dad knew? Maybe my dad was forgetful. I mean, I think it happens a little bit more, and. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to go on record saying it's all, all good, but you know, yeah. I I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if white lies are good. I know you shouldn't like make up crap and put in a book like they did, but you know, yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it's hard to say. I, the part that <laughs> the part that really got me was, and it made me laugh, but was when he said, "I am. I looks like I'm the best writer in the family." Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, because that he like made crazy. up his lie, you know. And Daphne, of course, was pissed because you know yeah. she fell for it. She fell for the lie. My favorite moment in the episode, however, is when, <laughs> when Niles comes in after they're done with the hotel and he tells Marty <laughs> that he wants <laughs> him to help him get Fraser to pay the bill for the mini bar. Yeah. <laughs> and and Marty says, and Fraser is sitting like 10 feet away. And uh, Marty says, looks at him and says, what makes you think I know where he is? Yes. <laughs> you know, it was just like, I mean, it was like, it was like they were c conducting some sort of like mafia thing. Like, dad, I need yes. you to tell him that he needs to do this. <laughs> <laughs> just those little moments. Yeah, it, I, it was pretty good. Yeah, so we learned a lot about Niles and I almost said Daphne Frazier uh, from this episode. What comes next? What's up next on our, our um, journey, I guess? 
Let me think. I, I did know this, but I don't remember. Um, wait one second. Oh, it's when Frazier's yeah. sick. Yes. <laughs> Frazier oh, trains day off. Yeah. Yep. I actually um, was trying to watch the show with my daughter. I was waiting for my wife to get home. And I think I went into a couple minutes of that. And I don't know. She she likes Frazier. She calls him Dr. Crane. So she's my, my <laughs> wife's not sure if the content's great for nine-year-olds. But hey, you, you know, she could be watching <laughs> Shameless or some Showtime show. You know, it's all good. Yeah, It's okay. So. She probably focuses on the on Eddie. Yeah, <laughs> I I once was watching TV with her. And it was at John Krasinski Amazon where he's playing Doctor Ryan, and I didn't oh, think yeah. she was. I mean, I she was there, but it didn't even hit me. And they were on some like duel to the death with somebody, and she's like, "That's not nice." But <laughs> oh crap, hey. it was crazy. So that's funny. All right, well, thanks for checking out the Frasers. Um, we miss Marty podcast with me and Laura. Um, hey, like I said, you know, we talked a lot about family, but that's okay. I mean, you know, you won't hear some about Frazier, but we, we got to let you know how it supplies your lives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're going with this, and we'll uh, come back to talk about Frazier's Day Off. Uh, check out our podcast, uh, most notably uh, the one we're going to be recording in the next few minutes, uh, Frazier. We talked about the pony remark. And I'll give you a hint, Laura. It, it's a dark episode, but that's what made Seinfeld mm-hmm. Seinfeld. So I'm looking forward to All right, Flora, this is Chris. Thanks for checking out We Miss Marty Podcast. We'll see you next week. A new report shows despite getting billions of dollars from the federal government under the American Rescue Plan, many airlines continue to interrupt travelers' plans with cancellations and are slow to issue refunds. When the pandemic hit in early 2020, air travel in the U.S. and across the world almost completely stopped. But in recent months, as the airlines begin to add flights, customers are complaining of multiple canceled and delayed flights, denied refunds, and customer service failures. Diane Brown heads the Arizona Perg Education Fund, which issued the report. She calls it outrageous that the airlines took taxpayer funds but refused to deal fairly with their customers. The airline industry has been short-staffed, and that has caused consumers to have flight cancellations that often have a rippling effect. Airlines have said their industry was gut-punched by the pandemic and that they're working to get back on track. They blamed air traffic control, inclement weather, computer outages, and a lack of available flight crews for stranding or delaying passengers. And consumers have not been shy about telling the U.S. Department of Transportation just how unhappy they are. Between February 2020 and August 2021, Brown says the number of complaints about airline service increased 460 percent, and refunds have been hard to come by. Consumers often prefer to just get their money back to save it for another trip versus having to use the funds by a certain period of time. Brown says travelers need to know their rights and alternatives. Consumers do have options when it comes to which airline they choose, which airport they may lay over in, and their ability to contact policymakers and urge better protections. The report, Not First Class, Flyer Complaint Soar, is online at azperg.edfund.org. 
I'm Mark Richardson for Arizona News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com. People who live on the Navajo Nation near the San Juan Basin are closely following work by the Environmental Protection Agency to adopt new methane rules that would restrict oil and gas emissions at well sites. Resident Kendra Pinto works as a Four Corners Indigenous Community Field Advocate for Earthworks and was one of several New Mexicans who testified this week when the EPA held three days of hearings to gather public input. The decisions made in offices hundreds of miles away from the oil field have a direct impact on people. Those spaces must be considered. Do not waste any more time when change is needed now. On Wednesday, a coalition of oil and natural gas businesses in New Mexico released a commission study showing state and local governments are more reliant than ever before on the industry to pay for basic public services, including public education. It claims the oil and gas sector pumped a record $5.3 billion into New Mexico communities in fiscal year 2021. Some 200 educators responded to the report, calling on elected leaders to continue efforts to diversify the state's economy and reduce reliance on revenues from extraction. Pinto said the health of her community would be greatly improved if the new methane rules are adopted for oil and gas sites. Due to the proximity of the sites near schools and residential areas, it is imperative that oil and gas sites are regulated with the full authority of the Clean Air Act and monitored thoroughly. Under the Trump administration, the EPA rolled back limits on methane pollution from the oil and gas industry enacted by the Obama administration. President Joe Biden has since signed legislation to reinstate the 2016 safeguards. This is Ross Brown, New Mexico News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.